0: this is Game Day Media. For all the latest in education and political news from around the state of Texas, visit my friends at TexasISD.com. The staff at TexasISD.com updates their site each morning with articles, commentary, and news from all over our state. If you have one site to bookmark and visit every day, it should be TexasISD.com com. The crossroads of education and legislation. You're listening to Largent Unfiltered with Dr. Jim Largent. I want to welcome all of you back to our podcast this week. This week we're uh, really happy to have John Tanner with us He is a writer, educational thinker, and a passionate advocate for public schools, as well as an expert on what he now refers to as true accountability. He understands the unintended consequences of the current school accountability system and, more importantly, how to move past them to a much better place. So, John, welcome, and and thanks for being on the show this week.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If you would, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing with uh, TestSense.
1: Sure. Uh, I spent uh, a good part of my career working in, in various positions in the uh, uh, large-scale assessment and, and, and testing arena uh, years ago. I was a state test director uh, uh, in Delaware and helped create some of the, the early test-based accountability uh, programs there. Right. Uh, and then after spending, gosh, probably 15 years in that world, uh, I started to oh, question whether or not what we were doing really was the most effective way to do accountability and really was the most effective way to support and serve kids. We had really good intentions, but um, the evidence was starting to mount that probably there was a better way. And the irony was that nobody seemed to know what that better way was. Uh, I became pretty adept at criticizing uh, the test-based accountability system and showing how it was uh, really uh, not at all effective. And, and, um, uh, uh, somebody came up to me to, uh, and, and we had a nice visit and he said, look, I'm, I'm in the state legislature here. I believe what you're saying, but you know, we did accountability to you guys in education because you, you didn't seem all that interested or willing to do it yourself. Sure. And he said, I'm not saying we did a good job, but until you guys come up with something better, we're, we're not going to be able to replace what we've done. Right. And so do you have something better in this 10, 12 years ago? I had to say, no, we don't. And so, That began uh, kind of on a new journey where where for the last more than a decade, I've tried to figure out, well, what would accountability look like in an effective organization and how would that apply to schools? It took a long time to see, but we've spent now the last four to five years really uh, almost full-time now and and completely full-time now working with school systems across the country that are interested in that. We found the frameworks that make up the basis for how accountability works in effective organizations. We've been able to interpret those and convert those to systems that work beautifully in schools and uh, uh, the the, the results have just really been uh, quite phenomenal.
0: Great and we certainly want to talk more about that as we go through this conversation. I guess let's first start by disc- discussing the test itself that we currently have in Texas, and and I, I'm probably showing my age here, but when I was in school, you know, we took the Iowa Test of Basic Skills, and it would give you give our parents a, a readout of of where we were reading on grade level and how we might improve and that kind of thing, and that was more of a, I guess, a criterion based test, correct?
1: Well, the, the words are interesting. Uh, th- th- those kinds of instruments, uh, like the Stanford Achievement Test, and the Iowa Test of Basic Skills, and uh, the California Achievement Test, and so on, uh, the SAT, the ACT, uh, and, and, and all, all the tests that are used for, for uh, state accountability, all of them are based upon a basic uh, predictive methodology. Um, we, we call them standardized tests a lot because they're given under standardized conditions, but but really uh, you could standardize any test you wanted, as long as you standardize the conditions under which it's it's taken, and and teachers do a lot of that sort of thing. Just when they give a quiz or something, they want to, you know they want to be fair and sure. And uh, 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 if one student has access to the periodic table on a chemistry test and another doesn't, you you know you, you really aren't giving uh, the, the students a fair shake. So uh, this kind of this very narrow family of test instruments uh, that that fall in this predictive testing family. Uh, what they'll allow you to do or what they'll allow a researcher to do is is, uh, to to make a rational prediction that says if a student happens to be at one point uh, today, they're they're likely to be at a similar point a year from now or at some point in the future. And if if, if they aren't, if, if something caused a disruption and moved that student, it's That's an exciting moment because you can go explore it and you can say, well, gosh, what happened? Was this good teaching or was this just maturity or a trauma in the family if there was something going backwards? You couldn't make a judgment at that moment. That would be unethical. You had to go look and see what the cause was because – and then you were in a position to say, well, you know, let's get some more information and evidence. But it sure appears that we've got good effective teaching or it appears that we've got some ineffective teaching and so on. But but you have to go look, and so that that narrow family of instruments is 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 in this uh, this family we call or I call predictive testing. Okay. And there are there are really two forms of that, or two two uh, ways we can interpret those results, and and one way is through the norms that you were referencing in the Iowa Test of Basic Skills and so on. Right. That allow for us to compare ourselves to. Uh, all of the other kids and see where uh, we relate and see if we're in the 90th percentile or the 15th percentile and and so on and so forth. And so uh, we take a snapshot as of a moment of time and see, gosh, who's ahead and, and who's, who's behind. But the norms allow us to um, uh, allow researchers to uh, uh, really use those results for analysis in a way that they can be pretty powerful uh, um, uh, for a lot of technical reasons. The the other form of predictive testing is uh, what we call criterion reference tests. And these are the instruments like state tests. And what these do is these draw a line in the sand, and they attempt to uh, infer meaning uh, at that line. So it may be just a simple pass or fail. It it may be some uh, some people will try to say, gosh, above this line you have a high probability of of, of doing well or at least getting through college and so on. And those those criterion are always – there's a lot of wiggle room in those. Those are not very precise, uh, but they can be useful for trying to make uh, some inferences and, and, and some estimates, but there is a lot of imprecision in those. They're proxies. They're not direct measures of anything, uh, but they too can be useful. So, so criterion reference really refers to trying to draw that line in the sand and, and, and create some meaning around that. Right. Uh, and norm reference refers to uh, the ability to, to take the results, to create a, a norming study around those that allow researchers some additional uh, technical interpretation.
0: Here with my farmers agent Brent Northcutt, and Brent, one of the things that impressed me so much about you guys is that when I came in to to let you evaluate my programs, you were able to put my current policy up against what you were proposing, and it was very easy for me to see the difference and in all the programs and in obviously the price. Right, Tell us more about that. Well,
2: we try to make it an interactive process, and if there's any way to make Shopping for Insurance fun, we've tried to do that. One of the smartest things that farmers ever did, we developed three different homeowners programs based on what our competition is doing out there. And so when a, a client, a potential client, comes into our office and they have a, a policy with another carrier, we know immediately which one of our policies competes best against that policy. Then we uh, put our proposal on a, a big screen right next to their current coverages, and uh, we point out their coverages. We can point and click, and we can change coverages, really custom-build a policy to fit your needs right. instead of just giving you a generic policy and don't have any options. So it, it what happens is the people really typically enjoy the experience and learn a lot about their coverage and leave with uh, a custom built homeowner's product.
0: Yeah, and it's always fun to to uh, come in and see that you can get better coverage for a lot less money. And so I would recommend everyone to give you a call and. and let you evaluate what they have.
2: I appreciate that. Uh, they can get in touch with me anytime at 817-326-5030, Northcutt Farmers Insurance, or email me at bnorthcutt, that's two T's on Northcutt, at farmersagent.com. bnorthcutt at farmersagent.com.
0: We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. So let's start with the test that we currently have in Texas, and and tell us why it's not the best way to judge how our students are really doing.
1: Well, that is actually a great question. Um, to understand uh, how these uh, instruments are are, are um, at work and what their limitations are, it's helpful to understand how they're created and how they're built, and 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 what their 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 purpose is. And the easiest way I know to explain that is to. Is to, to to have everybody just kind of imagine uh, a room full of people, a hundred people or so, and and imagine that we ask those people to order themselves, and we we want the highest person at, at one end of the room, and we want the shortest person at the other end of the room, and and we say go to order yourselves. Well, right. they they can do that very quickly with a very tiny piece of information. The only piece of information they have is the relative difference between. Uh, two people. Right. They don't have a measuring tape. They don't know how tall anybody is. They actually don't need it in order to analyze uh, a human characteristic called height. As long as they can order themselves based on the relative differences and we stare at that data set, what we're staring at is a predictive data set. Now, uh, presuming that I can't see who's a, a man or a woman or something like that, just that I've got a, a group of people, what makes it predictive is that when I go behind the scenes and I look at uh, who is where, uh, it, I have some predictive uh, ability there, because I if I have a woman who comes to me and says, where will I likely fit, I can say, you're probably going to fit towards the lower half, because men tend to be taller than women, not right. always, but for the most part. And so I, I have some amount of predictive ability I uh, in that, that, that very simple data set based on a very small piece of information. And that kind of data set's very valuable because it allows for us to do comparisons between groups. It allows, it really allows for a lot of analysis from a very, very small amount of information. Um, we order people like that for a lot of reasons. So for example, we, we do that on salaries for the same, uh, job and the same work we see a very similar pattern between men and women. And that then allows us to say, gosh, let's put some disruptions in place. Let's put some policies in place that attempt to make this a little bit more fair. And um, uh, we can redo the ordering in subsequent years to see if the, the disruption is having the effect we want it, to see if now we can no longer predict that if you are a male, you likely make more than your female peers. If, if our ability to make that prediction goes away, we can infer that we've had a successful disruption. Yeah. So this is a very useful tool. So all that predictive tests do is, is attempt to do the same thing for groups or students within a particular domain of, of say, reading or mathematics. But unlike the, the observations of relative differences in height, uh, we can't observe it easily, and so we have to create those observations. And we do that through test items. And... What we can do is we can take test items that operate within a very narrow uh, set of statistical parameters and we can use those to create those observations. And we, we do that by finding items that about half the kids will answer correctly and half the kids will answer incorrectly. Right. And as long as the items follow that pattern, then what those items will do is they will allow us to create those observations uh, by having some number of items to support it because the first item will divide all the kids into two piles. The second item will divide the kids into three piles, uh, no right, uh, one right, one wrong, uh, uh, both right, and the third item and the fourth item and so on until you wind up with a sufficient number of piles that you can perform a meaningful analysis. You can then perform an ordering of kids to try to understand what patterns exist to try to get a sense of... Um, a uh, howl of uh, of what you're really looking at in terms of something very complex, like reading or math or, or other subject areas. The limitations of that are, uh, however, are quite extraordinary because you aren't taking uh, a representative sample of whatever content you're selecting from. So, if you're selecting from a state's content standards, which happens in Texas, uh, you aren't taking a representative sample of the content. What you're doing is taking only items that operate within that narrow statistical parameter. You're not interested in what was learned or not learned. That's not something that these kinds of instruments can go after. What you're interested in is saying, as of a moment in time, who's ahead and who's behind? And knowing that, you can then go explore uh, what patterns exist, why those patterns exist, and what you might uh, need to uh, do about them. So, number one, it's really a proxy For a larger domain, so you have to be very careful with it because if you make the proxy the target, you're at risk of reducing uh, a rich uh, uh, domain like reading or math just to the proxy, which is far too narrow and limiting uh, for instructional purposes.
0: So you're basically setting up a system of winners and losers when you do that.
1: You 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 are if you apply a stakes judgment. That's a really good way of saying it. Now, if all you do is just try to understand as of a moment in time who's ahead and who's behind. And what we need to do to, to disrupt the negative parts to that pattern, great. We're yeah. not we're not looking at a child who's behind and saying you fail. We're saying you're behind, let's figure out why and let's go remedy that. Sure. The mistake in that environment would be if we were to draw a line in the sand, which is what we do in with all the state testing programs, and say you're behind and therefore automatically you fail. Without going behind the scenes and looking. I mean perhaps there is legitimate failure there. And, and, and there's a remedy for that and that's to try harder and to work harder. But perhaps a child is uh, behind his or her peers. In that case, the remedy is not try harder. The remedy is to find out what the child needs in order to get caught up and try harder. No matter how hard you try is not the strategy that will get that child there. Right. So it only sets up uh, a system of winners and losers if you allow yourself to apply a judgment. And Which is what we've done on tests for many, many years. We assume that a, a, a relatively low score on one of these instruments indicates failure. We assume that a relatively high score indicates success. And we do that without ever bothering to look behind the scenes to see what the actual causes are.
0: Which I guess is why we, we always hear these stories, and I'm, I'm sure they're true, is they never set the passing mark until after all the tests have been taken and the scores are, are turned in. Then they set the, whatever mark was passing, they do that after the tests have already been taken. Isn't yeah, it?
1: that's interesting. You know, in the sure. early days of, of this kind of testing, there, there were uh, states that made an attempt to set a blind passing score, to just uh, go through processes and, 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 and let the chips fall, fall where they may. Uh, and, and, and those very quickly went away because there are real political consequences to the percentage of students who, uh, a, a legislature or, or a, <laughs> a set of policymakers can tolerate, uh, passing and failing. And by yeah, the way, absolutely. therein lies one of the huge validity problems because validity in these systems becomes what we can tolerate, not the truth, not the underlying realities. And, and that in and of itself is, a, I think, a huge, uh, 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 criticism of the validity of these kinds of systems.
0: Absolutely. So you could, you, in theory, you could say, if I'm a politician and a, a high-ranking politician and I want to tell my voters and potential voters how wonderful our schools are doing, you could artificially inflate those scores. Not that anybody would really do that, but uh, that is a theory, right?
1: Right, and the, the irony is it's mostly just the opposite that happens. And, and, and there's, there's such a strange it's such a strange phenomenon in States where you have lots of people who want to pick on the public education system and they want to talk about how terrible it's doing. And, and, and they already have this, this preconceived narrative of failure, which is most of the time completely inaccurate. And, and yet then they're trying to, to generate economic growth and convince companies to come to their state and their communities. And so you have these contradictory messages, which is, Hey, we've got a great workforce and everything's wonderful here. And please bring your companies and your business, but our, our public school systems are terrible. Yeah. And again, this is just, it's a very odd environment in which all of this accountability and testing uh, uh, work is occurring at the moment.
0: Right. And unfortunately, the politics get into these things because at the end of the day, if I'm the parent of a third grader, what do I really want to know? I want to know if my student, my child, can read on a third grade level. <laughs> that's, that's all I want to know. Is he up to speed? with what you expect a third grader to know, and that's what I want the test to do, but evidently it's not doing that.
1: Well, and that, that, that's a really uh, great point because in order to understand something like, uh, is a child progressing uh, in something as complex as literacy, with, it is so multifaceted, and, 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 and uh, literacy is something that kids learn at very different levels and um, uh, in very different ways. The, 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 thought that there could be one instrument or one, uh, reductive point that could somehow signal, uh, w- w- that very thing is, is, is ludicrous. That it's just impossible. Yeah. To understand whether a child is progressing, uh, in terms of literacy or numeracy or any other, um, uh, academic, uh, construct is, is, is a, if it is not a multifaceted, uh, That set of judgments that are led by a professional who understands these things, the odds of making uh, an accurate estimate are, are very, very small.
0: It just doesn't feel right, does it? Something this doesn't feel right about how we're doing that. And I've I've always been one of these. I, I never did believe the test was valid or reliable, and and uh, therefore I never put a lot of stock into it. I mean, you want your students to do well on it, and and uh luckily I was in school districts that that normally perform very well on these tests. But at the end of the day, we weren't we weren't building our school day around helping kids pass a test.
1: And, and good for you. Uh, the the way I would say it is 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 this. That that a a um th- there is nothing wrong uh with predictive test methodology because it's simply a methodology that allows us as of a moment in time to see who's ahead and who's behind. Right. Is if we use it for that purpose, then that is a valid use. That is a rational thing to do. We need to recognize that there's uh some very serious imprecision in those estimates. And what I mean by that is that if a child tests on two consecutive days on parallel forms of the test, they're probably going to perform similarly, but they're not going to perform in exactly the same way. And in some instances, the child will perform very differently. So yeah. these are just estimates. They're not, they're, they're not uh, uh, absolute uh, measures, and, and it's a proxy. And as long as the use of these things can tolerate the fact that it's, it's, it's both an imprecise measure and it's a proxy, then, then great. I mean, researchers can put footnotes in their research that says we use this instrument and here are its limitations. And what we so frequently wind up with is we wind up with, uh, with hard judgments as if these things are, are so exact and so precise and direct measures. And that just is not the
0: case. Yeah. And, and the other thing that we haven't mentioned is there's, there's quite a bit of research out there that says you're really testing the socioeconomics of your students, because a lot of times you, you find students who are more fluent for a number of reasons, just the, the number of words they've learned and how much they've been, uh, uh, how much of the world they've been able to see or museums and things like that. So they perform naturally better, uh, on these type tests.
1: Yeah. There, 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 there's some really wonderful, um, research that, that, uh, uh, came out recently and, and, and what it showed and, and, uh, the folks that are doing this have been doing this for a long time what it, what they what they argue what they and, and I'm, they have the evidence to back it up is is that it doesn't matter whether you are in a, a, a relatively wealthy community or a relatively poor community odds are the kids in schools are learning about the same amount now granted there's lots of variance in that but they for the most part they're learning about the same amount what differs are the starting points yep. and so if as if you take a moment in time measure then and that's going to try to identify who's ahead or who's behind and you do it in an academic area, reading, writing, and math, which are inventions. These are not things that occur naturally. The odds are that you're going to see that the starting point in the two communities is reflected in the results. Right. It would be a mistake to say, oh, you're poor, you fail. Well, that doesn't make sense. You may be behind and we need to know that educationally because that informs what we're going to do going forward but we could also uh order kids in the exact same way on artistic expression on musicality on kinesthetics which of course is sport and movement yeah. and so on. And we're not going to see uh the correlation to socioeconomics because those things uh, are are learned in a very different way. And by the way, those things are very important.
0: Most Absolutely. Of our
1: GDP has been growing on the from the creative class in the last uh decade or so. So these things are not unimportant at all. And yet they're not valued in our schools. And so what we wind up with is this continued perception that if you are poor and, 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 and live in a poor community, uh, you're probably going to be in a failing school, you're probably going to be a failing student, you're probably not going to do very well in life, and we just repeat this process over and over. It's ridiculous. There's no need for it because what we're doing is we're just confirming our biases by the measures we selected. If we imagine what the world would look like if the ordering methodology that we use for accountability is creative expression, we we wouldn't be having conversations about
0: exactly um, yeah
1: about that, that that we do in terms of uh, of of schools in poor communities versus wealthy communities we wouldn't see the differences if if creativity for example was what we really valued
0: right and that's that's really powerful because those people and this is why i, I was never in favor of producing all these wonderful you know we're in we're an exemplary campus and we're an exemplary school and because the the students that may not be in those areas and may not live in that affluent area, they don't have an option to move. I mean, they're if they're stuck in, in their environment, they're not going to be able to change where they live. They're not going to be able to move to that A school necessarily. So it was. I just always had a real problem with that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. There's some other research that was done a couple of years ago that uh, 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 I've referenced a lot in, in, in the work that we do. Uh, Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State uh, took... Uh, uh did some research wherein they were able to um, theoretically take kids out of uh, schools that the state deemed to be ineffective. Right. And and see what they would look like if they put them in the schools that the state deemed effective. And and if you think about that for a minute, in Texas and in Oklahoma they use a they assign school grades, A, B, C, D, and and F. Right. And and the the working assumption is that an A school is a more effective school than a D or an F school. And right. so theoretically, you ought to be able to take a child out of an F or D school, put them into an A school and have a very positive effect. That's sure. the whole, the whole system is based on that. Yeah. That, that we ought to close down the D schools and the F schools and get all the kids into A schools. And then all the kids will do better. Well, what the researchers are able to show is that when you do that, uh, there's no effect on the kid. In other words, the A school does not do a more effective job educating the kids that are in the D school than the D school did. And, the reverse is also true. You take the kids out of the A school and put them in the D school, they don't do worse. And so you have to ask yourself very... I mean, if we're just really honest and look in the mirror, what we have to realize is that the current system is not identifying school effectiveness. Exactly. And so that is... That's is—that's—that's dangerous. I mean, if you go, if you impose an accountability on uh, someone, and we do this all the time, we hold unaccountable organizations accountable, unaccountable politicians, when you do that, the basic inference in all of that is that you can identify the difference between an effective organization or person or school and an ineffective organization or person or school. And if your system isn't doing that, it'll fail to have the effect you want. And don't get me wrong. There are schools that are less effective. Than others. Sure. Absolutely. And, and if we take a student out of one of those and put them into an effective school, we would see a positive result. The fact that we don't see that in the current systems should really give us pause
0: if you like our show i hope you'll subscribe and then share this with your friends and colleagues you can also check out my website at largentconsulting.org i'm on twitter at dr jim largent and facebook at largent consulting llc